Do you spend hours in your head thinking about something that happened, could have happened, or might happen? Do you ask others what to do so you don't make a mistake? Welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. I am Dr. Z, your host. I am a clinical psychologist, an author, and a person that is super passionate about sharing with you science-based skills to overcome any type of fear-based struggles. Who doesn't experience fear? Who doesn't play it safe? In this show, we will discuss how fear-based reactions happen in day-to-day life, how playing it safe behaviors look like, sound like, and feel like, how you can put into action solid tips from behavioral science to get unstuck from worries, fears, obsessions, and anxieties, and how you can start doing what works, what matters, and what you care about. Behavioral science doesn't have to be boring. Thanks for listening, and let's get started. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the Planet Safe podcast. Today, I want to share with you a conversation I had with Sarah Peck. Sarah is a trained yoga teacher, a professional swimmer, and an author of several books. Some of Sarah's books are Sticky Situations, Pregnancy Book Notes, The Startup Mama Interviews, Parenting Book Notes. Sarah is also the founder of Startup Parent, and she's very committed to provide resources for all parents that want to work smart, live fuller, and feel good about their parenting. In this conversation, I discuss with Sarah how she handled her fears about parenting, her fears about not being a good mother, and how she and her husband have developed parenting philosophies to manage all the stuff they have to do as parents, as partners, and as people working full-time. In the website, www.playingitsafe.zone, I will make sure to include links to Sarah's books and the startup parent. I got a lot from this conversation and I hope you find it useful. Sarah, welcome to the Playing It Safe podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm super excited to chat with you this morning. And because this is the first time you're in the show, I'm wondering if you could please bring us up to speed. What have you been up to these days? I mean, I I have two little ones. They're uh, two and four. And my husband and I really honestly are trying to keep our jobs while living through a pandemic and stay sane. I'm trying to get enough sleep. But the, you know, the fancy version is I run a company called Startup Parent. It's for Mm -hmm. parents who work. I mean, all parents work. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Parenting <laughs> is hard work. But uh, those of you that are trying to keep a job or grow a company or build a startup while also having kids, this website is dedicated to you and to connecting working parents together so we can feel a little less alone. And then I also, I mean, what do I do? I also eat, exercise, <laughs> try to sleep. I didn't get much sleep last night because for some reason my two-year-old just woke up at 1am screaming. He's so upset. So Mm. there was an hour in the middle of last night where we were just trying to soothe him and figure out what was going on. I think, I think he has a sinus infection or an ear infection. So I'm sorry. That's that's my day. Figuring all of that out. Like it's part of it. Why, why am I having a harder time with my strategic planning today? Um, Because I was up for an hour from (laughs) 1am to 2am. That's why. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's really a packed day. It's really a packed day of trying to juggle so many responsibilities that you do have right now. Um, and maybe that's a good beginning for that conversation. I know for what I read that you were a professional swimmer, you went into writing, now you're doing the startup, and you're also a mom. You're juggling yes. all these things. So I'm curious for you, when you became a mom, how was that process? What came for you making that big shift in your life? You know, I, I love um, being around kids. I'm from a big family. I've got, I'm one of four brothers and sisters and I've got two stepbrothers as well. So we're like a Brady bunch. There's six of us. And, and then layered on top of that is also the cultural expectation that you should want to become a mom like that. That's something you're supposed to want. Um, and as I went through my twenties, I, I actually went up and down and back and forth with Oh, I really want this. And then wait a second. I actually really like the life I'm designing. I like my freedom and my independence. Do I really want kids? Um, also now I'm not dating anyone. Who would I have kids with? Do I want to do kids on my own? Like all of those questions. And by the time I hit 30, I said, you know, I think my desire for children is going down, not up. Mm -hmm. So I, I might do it now or, you know, forever let that dream go and talked to my husband and we entered what has been a really intense six years of our life. I'm 36 now. Am I 36? I think I'm 36. <laughs> I don't know anymore. I don't know. Um, it. <laughs> um, I was working at a startup in Manhattan. I was at a company that was uh, helping teach people how to code and I got pregnant while I was there. We were a team of about 10 people. Um, we didn't have a, like any parental leave policies in place. There was no legal need for any protections for pregnant workers. Many of the people had never dealt with this before. I had never done this before. So we were making it all up as we went. And, um, and it was, I mean, it was tremendously difficult. It was so much harder than I expected. Mm -hmm. I think I had that naive expectation that if you just push harder, you can make anything work. Like you have to have the right, how do you, how does a working mom balance it all? Well, you have the right productivity tools and strategies and tips, and then you'll just be able to lean in hard enough and get it done. But that's no, actually it, I'm, I'm quite type A. I'm quite, um, quite <laughs> successful at getting things done. I do crazy things for a living. I've worked in startups. I've done the escape from Alcatraz swim. Um, you know, there's a lot there that I, I say that not to brag, but I say that as just kind of a credential check, like I've done some crazy things and this was harder. Um, mm -hmm. Pregnancy was really hard. It's the relentlessness of it all. The lack of support for working parents, the maternal bias, the, the shaming we give to moms, the constant judgment, you know, the constant, are you a good mom or a bad mom? It just drives mm -hmm. me, drives me bonkers because there's really really are very, very, very few bad moms. There's just moms that aren't supported mm. um, or understood. Like everyone's doing, working so hard to try to make it work, myself included. So it's been, it's been challenging. And I also felt incredibly lonely because um, all of a sudden you can't leave work at five, six, seven, or eight. You know, it's not like, oh, what time will I leave work? I'll leave when I'm done. It's like, no, I have to sprint across Manhattan to get, pick up my child from daycare um, within a certain time frame. And if the subway's late one more time, like 
what are they going to do with the baby? The daycare shuts at 6 p.m. Like mm-hmm. it shuts down. They charge you by the minute to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to keep a baby. And the baby's screaming for you, right? They're like, they need to get home and get fed and go to sleep. And having that huge responsibility, um, it's a lot of work. And then you start, you know, your, your second, third, or fourth job of then taking care of another human being until the late hours of night and the early hours of the morning and then going back to work. And yeah, so I try to tell it like it is. I try to be real. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, I hope I'm not giving anyone the impression that I don't like being a parent or I don't like having children, but parenting is really challenging and it's a tremendous amount of work. um, And it's a tremendous amount of unpaid, underappreciated work in America in particular. Yeah, thank you for sharing how parenting is, not the cosmetic version of what parenting is. Uh, So I do appreciate a lot that you're sharing how all the fears that come, all the doubts that people have. Am I doing this right? Am I messing up with my kid? Is my kid going to be traumatized in five years? I really respect that you're sharing this with the audience. Speaking about that, one of the things that happens when we get scared and we get scared about all types of things because of the pandemic, because we wonder if we're doing a good job, we wonder if we are parenting properly. How do you handle those fears or those judgments that may come up sometimes into your mind? Mm-hmm. You know, such a good question. And I've been able to... Uh, I think have a good relationship to my attachment around the outcome. I think there's a book, it's called all joy and no fun. And it's about Mm -hmm. modern parenting. And one of the incredible, I think theses that she puts out in there is about how we don't necessarily have a clear direction of what the goal is of parenting collectively in our modern culture. We don't necessarily like, what do we want? We want good and happy kids. Well, what is that? And also what a burden it is to take on somebody else's happiness. We can't even guarantee our own happiness. Let it like, if everyone's successfully done that for themselves or for another person, like bravo, but life is so complex and so challenging and, and so many different emotional qualities are involved in our lives that guaranteeing the happiness and the success, um, guaranteeing the, the, the like outcome of somebody else is actually, I think, just a false idea. It's, it's something we can't live up to. So, and, and when you look at things like attachment, healthy attachment of a child, healthy attachment of a parent, even, even the most um, attuned parents only get it right 50% mm-hmm. of the time. We only guess like half the time we'll look at our kid and be like, oh, they must have a wet diaper. Oh, nope. It's poopy one. You know, they might be hungry. Nope. They're not hungry. We're just doing our best. And in our best, we still can't control the outcome and we won't necessarily get it right. So my husband and I, we have a couple of life philosophies and um, catchphrases that we use in our kind of family value system that really helps. And one of them is that all we aspire to is good enough, like mm-hmm. good enough parenting. We're not trying to optimize our children. We don't, we don't have control over that. We're going to do a good enough job while keeping ourselves as reasonably content and happy as possible along the way. And so that means when I toss a piece of raisin bread over the kitchen um, gate, 
towards my kids. And I'm like, here kids, here's dinner. (laughs) And I look at my husband and I wink and I'm like, good enough. Like they got some bread. They're fine. They're probably very pleased. It's cinnamon raisin bread. They're doing fine. You know, like when I let them wear pajamas all day because I don't want to change them. And then miraculously we have half as much laundry to do. I'm like, good enough. We're all happier for it. Like they love it. I love it. Less laundry. Great. So good enough parenting is one of our, our kind of shortcuts. And then the other one, and this is, this is like kind of a bad joke. You'll get my sense of humor here. (laughs) (laughs) All good. It's, we all go to therapy. You're going to go to therapy. Something I do is going to mess you up. Like there's just going to be something and you get to work that out on your own. Good luck. Like, (laughs) it's not my job to fix you. I'm going to do a good enough job. You're going to have food. You're going to have a place to sleep. I can't guarantee the people in school will like you. I can't, there's no, I just can't make a lot of promises for you about your life. Um, I hope to equip you with some tools. Like I I think I'll have done a great job if I can give you as many tools as possible, but you can also soundly reject them and then spend the rest of your life in therapy. What I've done wrong. (laughs) There are so many ways to unpack what you just say. It's a very rich response. If we can go back a little bit to this notion and this philosophy you guys have about good enough parenting, I love the idea because a lot of people dealing with fears, worries, obsessions, try to do the perfect parenting. Um, They try to do things right and perfect all the time. So the question I have for you is, given that you have done a lot in your career, sports, being a professional swimmer, you really have pushed yourself and you have pushed your body and you're pushing all the things you're doing right now. How did you make that shift to do the good enough parenting? You know, perfectionism is kind of a trap, right? Like we think that it's going to get us something or somewhere like, oh, if only I do all these things right, then, then I'll be safe. Then I'll be okay. Um, but I don't, I don't know if the lived experience of chasing perfectionism actually is anything close to what we're trying to get. Like, it's kind of a paradox, right? It's really a challenge. Um, I also think that, like, the majority of the interesting parts of life happen between 10% and 80%. Um, and, and the places we get stuck happen in that zero to 10% of never having started, right? Of being so afraid or letting so much of our psychology get in our way. It's like, go on, be bad at something. Um, this is actually another one of our, our family mottos, which doesn't always work in every instance. I will, I will give it a disclaimer, but try it and see is written mm-hmm. on our whiteboard. So if we're ever stuck, we don't know. Well, yeah, try it and see. I mean, like, don't try jumping off a 50 foot building and seeing what happens if you jump with that. Like, don't try <laughs> unprotected sex, my poor sweet children. Like, please, like, like there's, there's plenty of instances where this doesn't work. But if you're stuck on like a relatively minor thing, you're like, I don't know, try it and see. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that zero to 10% of not starting because fear gets in our way or trying to optimize the last 80 to 100%, those are the places where we can get into analysis paralysis and really prevent ourselves from living in the sweet spot of life, which I think is taking the first step and being on the hike, right? Like you don't have to get all the way to the top of the mountain all the time to really have an extraordinary experience. And mm-hmm. In fact, there's so much joy in just being like, 
my God, I'm out in the woods. There's a river. Like, oh, I'm climbing around the side of this mountain. Look at all these. Oh, the vegetation is changing as we ascend. Oh, now I'm in the sun. Wow, it got so hot. Like there's so much in between not doing and quote unquote achievement. Um, that for me, that relates to this good enough philosophy of, I feel like sometimes when you take the pressure off, you actually get better results anyways. Yeah. yeah, like yeah. When you dial it back, when you take the intensity off, if you're like very rigid and you say, I have to get everything right and it all has to be exact and I have to get a hundred percent and like this MBA degree doesn't count if I don't also get it perfect. Like dialing it back a little because sometimes the next step is, well, then I won't even start. If I can't get it right, I won't do it. And so you go from wanting to achieve 100% back to zero. And like, I think really aim for that middle space of having started and being in that enjoyment, which it may take till, it may take till 40% to get to the enjoyment. Like 10% to 40% is like where you're like, wow, I suck at this. is hard. Um, I don't want to be studying, you know, like the first, you really got to get over the, after you start, you have to get over the hump of, of, of just being like, oh, dirty diapers are not that fun. And then you finally see your little one like smile at you and like a drool glob falls out the side of their mouth and they like coo at you and you're like, I love you so much. Then they like poopy exploded. You're like, it's totally fine. (laughs) I think one of the challenges that happens is that many times we think that we have to hold into our goals with white knuckles. We're just holding on to them because we're supposed to get things done. And I think in that process, we forget that we can stop, pause, and look what's happening around us. So going back to what you say, accepting that your kids may go to therapy at some point, <laughs> right? <laughs> Please do. It'll be good for you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So what I hear there is there is this sense of accepting that there are things that you do have control of and there are things that you don't. How did you reach that philosophy that you are doing your best every single moment and things will be as they have to be? I mean, part of this is a response in a little bit to like, if we, if I love looking at systems and the big picture and the Mm -hmm. culture that we live in. So uh, when I look at like Americanized, Westernized culture, and I look kind of the ingredients at play, we have a history of um, the Protestant work ethic. Uh, We have a hyper individualistic culture that really prizes your solo success. We see magazines, how I did it, how he did it, how she did it. When something goes wrong for us, we look at context. We say, oh, well, you know, I tried my best, but like I didn't have enough gas in the car. And then like my parents called and also it was like a late night. I didn't have a good night of sleep. Like we, we look at the whole picture and, um, when you trace this back and you look at the Protestant work ethic, if you work hard, you will have success. And you look at this individualism of like to each their own, there is no really the community doesn't matter as much. We're not responsible for each other. We're each individual players with rational choice in these economic models. Well, part of the problem then is that we'll really take it personally um, when things go wrong. We we do blame ourselves. We we start to think, oh, I like this. I better do it. I better like it's all my fault. And mm-hmm. and I think 
for me, when I step back and I look at that big picture and I say, you know what, I don't, I don't want to live that way. I don't want to, I don't want to live according to this rule or this principle. I, I surely hope that, that maybe we can try something else. Maybe we can live just a little bit differently. That whole try it and see philosophy. What if it doesn't have to be that way is kind of where I get. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How did you learn to approach life in that way or especially parenting? There is so many comparison thoughts. The mind will tell you, look at my neighbor, how much time she's spending with her kids. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm not doing it right. So when your mind comes with those thoughts, mm-hmm. how do you handle them? Yeah, you know, like a human, um, you know, all over the place, it takes a lot of self-awareness and reflection to, to study the way that your mind works and be like, huh, what am I thinking here? What happened? You know, getting curious, I think is the first step, Mm -hmm. um, getting curious, but then also like trusting and believing saying I can learn something different this doesn't have to be this way. So those two concepts combined, both being curious and saying, well, what's going on? Like, so-and-so didn't call me back and I'm now really sad. Okay. Now I'm making up a story about it. I mean, like I'm telling myself the story. She doesn't like me. Um, she's judging me. She thinks I'm a bad mom. Where did those thoughts come from? Like, where did those, what's happening and treating it a bit like a scientist, like an experiment. I mean, like, okay, well, all right, brain here's where you're going, you know, how does it, why does it serve you? Like, what is this giving you? Um, What are you doing with it? So, I I mean, I was raised by two intense scientists. Mm -hmm. We had, we like learned a lot. When I studied psychology, it was a little bit of a joke that I was like studying a soft science. (laughs) It wasn't a real science. (laughs) Like my family of mathematicians was like, oh, she's going over there to that soft science. Um, (laughs) So, but this, the, I think the beauty of looking at life, whether through a stoicism lens or a scientific lens is that, or through a Buddhist lens, is appreciating that you can take a second to pause and observe and then ask, where did that come from? Does it have to be that way? And I will say that at 36, we've, we've decided I'm 36 years old. So I will say that at 16, I didn't have this ability. And at 16, I was just so lonely and so sad. Most of the time I had a really hard time in high school. My parents had divorced. Um, people made fun of me on the swim team for being, this is, this probably sounds silly saying it out loud, but people made fun of me for being too good mm-hmm. at it. So I felt lonely and ostracized there. Um, I had a bad sexual experience, you know, teenagers can often go through that and all of that conspired. I just really had a hard time getting out of my own head, feeling like I was worthy or even should be here. I think it speaks a lot about how you have gained perspective when looking at your own struggles, perspective when looking at the story that your mind is kicking in. How did you reach that place from being raised in a very heavy science-based household to actually learn this kind approach when the mind comes with those thoughts? You know, I think I have a lot of experience beating myself up. So mm-hmm. after a while, I, I did start to question, you know, is that working? How's that working for you? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> How's that working for you? Because I have tried in like 
to exercise more. Mm-hmm. I've tried to will myself into eating better. That never works for me, at least. You know, if I if I try to like strangle myself into eating better, like you're gonna eat this and then this and really constrict myself, in invariably within three days, I'm like mm-hmm. in my bedroom eating fruit snacks and chocolate chip cookies, being like, you won't tell me what to do. <laughs> so <laughs> that doesn't work out that well for me. So I Really, there's some beautiful practices in meditation philosophy and yoga philosophy called metta. And it's all about loving kindness, which, you know, 10 years ago, I would have rolled my eyes at. I'm like, oh, that sounds so silly. What's this about? You should just have more discipline. Like, Mm -hmm. this is your fault. Back to this theme. This is your fault. You're not working hard enough. You're bad. You're not good enough because if you really could do it, you would just work harder. But I don't know, time and time again, I've noticed that when I treat myself the way that I would treat my little one or the way that I would treat a friend, if a friend came to me and said, I've been trying to write this thing for weeks and I'm, I just don't know what's going on and I can't seem to get it out and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm having a hard time. I wouldn't say then, you horrible person. Why can't you do this already? You should have done it. You're competent. I know you can put words together. Just put it on the page. I'd say, well, what's going on? Well, why do you think you're struggling? And then something will come up, right? Say, well, every time I try to write this, I think about my mom who died. And you're like, well, there we go. You know, like there's a thing here. Your body isn't stupid. Your mind isn't stupid. Like you're not inherently a bad person. There's stuff going on that's worth looking at. I think our mind is simply overworking and it's working super hard to protect us, to take care of us. And our mind is not going to get it right all the time. And sometimes it's going to come with all these harsh criticism. I think stepping back and checking, what happens if I go along with these thoughts? What happens if I go along with this story? Does it really expand my life or does it actually narrow it? And really approaching this with a sense of curiosity. It's a beautiful skill to have. Given that our mind doesn't take vacations and it's all the time going on and on and on and comes with all types of worry thoughts, what if this goes wrong? What if my kids have some problems tonight and I cannot sleep again? When those worry thoughts show up, how will you respond to them? I mean, there's a couple of different things and it depends on how far down the rabbit hole you are because... um, the things that maintain ease and joy and balance are not necessarily the same things to get out of like a deep pit of despair. Like, I think there's, there's different approaches here. So um, like, you know, if I'm in one of those crumbling mental spirals where I think everything has gone wrong and I'm having a bad day and I haven't slept and my child, my children are interrupting me every three minutes, like, it may take me three days of eating gummy bears to get to a place where then I take a hot shower and I start to feel better again. And then it usually takes me three days of journaling before I feel the effects of feeling better. And it's hard because it's not instant gratification. The practices that keep us feeling better in the long term sometimes takes a while to feel the results. Like therapy, man, you don't feel better right away. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, you might, you might feel a little better because you, you get to like, let some of it out and tell somebody stuff. But mm-hmm. really, sometimes, like, 
sometimes it takes going to therapy for 12 weeks or 16 weeks or a year before you really get those huge light bulb moments. But then the other thing that really journaling helps. Um, but the other thing, the thing I was going to say about meditation is, you know, it also is this like fancy buzzword and it's like, Oh, I'm supposed to get into some sublime state and stop my thoughts. Mm. No, thanks. Well, that's not, that's not how I use it. So for me, watch the first thoughts that come into your mind and the practice, the real practice is not doing something with that thought. It's like journaling longhand. It's just, you're, you're putting into practice this behavior that you then get to repeat throughout the day. And then when an email pops up in your inbox, instead of being like, and panicking and like having a response, you go, oh, I'm panicking and I don't want to do this. So I wandered all over there with a million different answers for you, but I hope some of that was useful. Therapy, meditation, journaling. It's very helpful. Um, I think there is this space between what we feel, what we think, the urge to do something, and the action that we can take. And I think that there are different ways that we can create that space to choose how to handle that moment versus just going along. And I love what you say about therapy, of course, as a therapist, right? <laughs> Makes totally sense to me, of course. Right. What a cool thing. <laughs> you know, I have to say that it's really a privilege guiding people to make these micro changes. So I appreciate your take on therapy all the way. Mm, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, because time goes so fast. Here's my last question. If you were to have a cup of tea or coffee with any person you want, who will that person be today and why? Ooh. Oh, that's a hard one. Um, <laughs> just because it's today is, you know, who's on my mind right now is Tim Ferriss. And I just listened to an extraordinarily challenging episode with him. And I cried for hours listening to it. And I have so many follow-up questions for him that hopefully come from a place of compassion mm -hmm. and not consumption. I just, I just listened to episode, it's 464 of his podcast. And um, it's such an important and huge topic about parenting and children. It's about child abuse. So I will... I will say that it's a really challenging topic, um, but I just, my heart broke when I listened to it and I just want to give him a hug and also like um, talk about what we can do to fix it. Wow. Wow. I, I, I know the episode you're referring to, so I totally get where you're coming from and I will make sure, I will do my best for Tim Ferriss to listen this piece. <laughs> so well, you know, you know, Tim, if you're listening, don't, don't bother because you need your own space, right? I don't need to consume you or add another piece to your plate. Um, but I just, I wish that this person could know how much people around, around the world really do care about him and are so thankful for the work he does in the world. And, um, and also just like, like, fuck, I'm gonna, sorry, I just swore I'm going to cry, um, like want to go back. My children are two and four. So I just want to tell the children, like, I'm so sorry. And um, I wish I could make it better for you. And I wish you had had a good enough parent. Actually, he did. He did. But I wish someone could have protected you. So, oh, I didn't expect to cry on this. <laughs> 
thank you for being you. Thank you for being you and hashtag humans were doing our best. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Sarah, thank you so much. This has been such a rich conversation. I am so grateful I had a chance to chat with you and tons of appreciation for sharing all your wisdom with all of us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, I will very much appreciate it if you will subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. And if you're feeling extra generous, I welcome a review on Apple Podcasts. Show notes of this episode are in the website playingitsafe.com. Make sure to subscribe to my newsletter so you can receive more tips to stop all types of unworkable playing it safe actions. See you soon!